this time we'll dismiss the children to Children's Church. I'm actually getting better at that, remembering to send the kids out. Uh, so I'm sure the kids are thinking, yes, get better at it. That's wonderful. Hey, I do want to mention, I don't always mention this, but uh, we do still take up an offering. We just do it in a different way. And actually, at the end of each service, we have individuals who are at the doors. And uh, most of you who have been here for a while, you already know this, but we started doing offering that way simply to limit the amount of physical contacts people had uh, with common surfaces. So I uh, just want to give you a heads up on that, and uh, there'll be individuals out there to receive that after the service is over today. Is that my microphone making that noise? You want to just use the pulpit mic, and I'll just turn this one off. I promise I'll stay behind it. I don't always stay behind the pulpit, but I will today. So it is uh, a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. And I want to begin by reading some scripture with you today. This comes specifically from Luke chapter 15. I'll give you a heads up that we're going to be in Luke 15, but uh, there's more than one parable that we're going to look at today. I know we've been in this series on the parables of Jesus and he actually tells multiple parables here, and they all kind of run together a little bit. So Luke 15, we're going to be in verses 3 through 7 to begin with this morning, and this is what it says. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know, every church, every school... And most every store will have what you would call a lost and found section. I guess a part of that is because we're not very good at keeping up with our possessions. We're so easily distracted and we suddenly realize that we've goofed. That we don't have what we thought we had. Well, that can happen with people too. I'm told that many years ago our youth group here at this church went to Greenville for a Christian concert. Following the concert, they began to make their way back to the church bus. Now understand, it's close to midnight, midnight by that point, and you're talking about a group of teenagers in Greenville. Everyone was instructed, be careful to stay with the group. Well, have you ever been in a big crowd and gotten a little confused as to who you are with. One of the young ladies from our church was doing everything she could to stay with the group that night. She focused in on one of the pairs of shoes that someone was wearing, and then she began to follow those shoes, unfortunately realizing that she was eventually with the wrong group. Imagine her surprise when she suddenly realized that she did not recognize anybody around her. Imagine the surprise of the group leader when he suddenly did a head count and realized they were one short. By the way, uh, 
just as an FYI, I'm referring to Anna Gore. Uh, she is still with us, and she survived, and she is okay. Uh, the youth leader at that point was a guy named Nate, and Nate was a fantastic youth leader. But he still looks back at that being the day that he began to have gray hair. She is safe, and I don't think she's been scarred that much from that particular incident. incident. But that is a scary thing all the way around. Well, 2020 brought a whole lot of scary things to us. And in the midst of all the scary stuff, our tendencies are to either seek the Lord for help or blame him for what we face. And I do get it. I, I might would add that because we live in a fallen world, things like this are simply going to happen sometimes. I'm not talking about kids getting lost. If that happened, we might have a problem. I'm talking about all the craziness that we've seen over 2020. We don't like it. We would much rather it not happen, but we live in a fallen world, which means things like this are going to happen. And as we think, see things this way, we realize that God is always going to be our greatest hope when difficulty arrives. Or maybe some would look at this and say, well, yeah, we live in a fallen world, but all of these bad things, this must be God punishing us. Maybe God is betraying us in some way, or maybe he's testing us to see how we might respond, or maybe we're just getting what we deserve because we are a fallen people as well. In that case, we might look and say that we blame God as opposed to turning to God. Well, before blaming God for tragedies, calamities, and pandemics, consider what God is really like. Jesus came to show every sinner, every tax collector, every scribe, every Pharisee, every Jew, every Gentile, what God is really like. Long before going to Calvary and laying down his life, Jesus shared a parable here in Luke 15. It's actually three separate parables that deal with similar subject matter. Some might look at this as the lost and found chapter Yet it is so much more. In this three-part parable, we find, first of all, the lost sheep that we just read about that was found and brought home with great joy. Luke 15, really, verses 4 through 7 there. Then you have the lost silver coin that was found and reclaimed with, again, great joy in Luke 15, 8 through 10. And then the lost son that came to himself and returned to his father's house in both humility and repentance and again was received with great joy these parables speak of reconciliation and hope yet when we consider jesus's audience there is a much deeper truth jesus is showing these sinners these tax collectors these individuals who are filled with shame and remorse for who they are as a sinner, the last thing you wanted to do was to hang out with the rabbi. Think about it today. I'm not saying that I'm the rabbi, but there are some people, when they hear that the pastor's in the room, sometimes they get very uncomfortable. Well, imagine the tax collectors who knew that their lifestyle was not in keeping with the law, and suddenly they find themselves in the midst of the rabbi. What is God really like? God is love. 
Oh, he's much more than that for sure. He is also holy. He is righteous. He is filled with wisdom. He's filled with grace. He is perfect in every way. He is redeeming. One day he will come back for all those who have already been redeemed by him. He's already paid the price for our sin. He is all of these things. Yet John declares to us that God is love. His nature, his his reigning attribute, the thing that stands out most about him, and the thing that is weaved into all of those other things that I just mentioned is the fact that God is truly love. What is God really like? Some people think the most important question of life is, do you believe in God? But a more important question is, what kind of God do you believe in? There's something worse than being an atheist. It is believing in God, but having an erroneous concept of what God is about. There are many religions in the world that present many different pictures of God. And they all may contain a little bit of truth. A stopped clock is right twice a day, right? But a broken clock is worse than no clock at all because it will give you misleading information. You can believe in God. But if you have a false concept of who God is, then you are no better off than an atheist. Everyone in Jesus' audience had their own idea of who God was. Today, you have Muslims, Hindu, atheists, New Agers, all kinds of different beliefs, and they all have their own ideas of what God would be like. Well, Jesus came to earth to show us exactly what God is like. In Luke 15, he shares three beautiful stories that paint a portrait of the character and nature of God. The lost sheep shows the caring, seeking nature of God. I was trying to imagine a way to truly help us understand this passage and the heart of such a shepherd. And my mind went to the Schmooks family. I just want to call you out for a minute. What do y'all have, like 12 kids or something like that? Something like that. I think they've got five kids. Uh, Can you imagine... They take their kids to the store, and they've got everybody, and they come home and realize, oh, there's only four of them. Well, that's okay. At least we got four of them. Would that ever make sense at all? Of course not, because you don't want most of your kids to come home with you. You're expecting all of them. And the thing is, God looks at us in a very similar way. You say, well, God's got 99, and he's thinking, man, that's wonderful, but where's the one? That one that's missing, there's something missing, and it needs to be addressed. Karen would never be okay with only four kids coming home. Actually, that happened one Sunday at church. They couldn't find their youngest, uh, it wasn't Zephaniah, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, MRI. They all have similar names. They're they're all uh, biblical names. MRI... I think she was hiding behind a door or something like that. And we're looking all over the place and we can't find her. And actually, I think someone might have joked, well, it's okay. They got other kids. But it's not okay because clearly we would expect that if there's one missing, that we would go find it. And that is the heart of God. He's not okay with any of his children being lost. 
In fact, let me suggest to you that this is the heart of the Easter story as well. We're in this Easter season where we talk about a, a Messiah who came, who sacrificed himself, who paid the price for our sins. And of course, that's really more the Good Friday story. The Easter story is that he was resurrected, that he was brought back to life. But as Jesus came, the whole reason for his coming was to come and seek those who were lost. Jesus didn't come just so he could experience humanity. He came to find those who were lost. The beauty of this story is that the sheep is not forced to find his own way home. Instead, according to the parable, the shepherd puts the sheep on his shoulders and he carries it home. As such, the saving responsibility falls to the shepherd, not the sheep. This goes back to the idea that your goodness will never be enough to redeem you. No matter how good you may be, no matter how many things you accomplish in this life, it will never be enough to redeem those who are lost. Only the shepherd can do that, and that shepherd is Jesus Christ. Of course, the response of the shepherd, as well as his neighbors, is to rejoice. We talk about this often when we baptize individuals here at the church. This passage tells us that there is great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents and is found. Let me take this as an opportunity to rejoice over such things. This week, we have had two funerals. Nobody enjoys doing funerals. Both of these funerals were for ladies who had surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, though. And as such, it is a whole lot easier to say goodbye knowing that heaven is what awaited them. But we also had another funeral that did not take place. A week and a half ago, I sat in a hospice house in a room with a lady who had taken a turn for the worst. The family had been called in and the expectation was that she would likely die within a matter of hours. But the Lord had other plans. In fact, she is no longer at the hospice facility, but she has returned home. And this past Friday, I had the privilege of baptizing her as we celebrated the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided in her life. She is still frail, and death may come sooner rather than later. Yet she does not have to fear death when it comes, because one who was lost has been found. I guess you could literally say she moved from death to life. Because a week ago, she was literally about to die. And then on Friday, we were celebrating the life that she has in Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus wanted to make sure his audience understood the picture that he was painting. So he adds another story to the mix. Look at it in verse 8. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The lost coin shows us how much God values each of us and his desire for our restoration. 
Notice the similarities between the two stories here. And in both cases, the sheep and the coin both represent something of great value. The sheep is financially valuable, but the shepherd also develops a bond with the animals that he cares for. The coin is useless while sitting between the cushions of the couch, but it has incredible value in the hands of the individual. In the same way, in the hands of God, we all have incredible value. And of course, again, we read, there is great rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Man, God must really love us. In fact, let me share something else that should help to illustrate what we're reading here. See, the primary message in all of this is that somebody, Jesus Christ, must really love you. This is his love letter to us. One of the funerals that I did this week was yesterday. That was for Jonathan's mom, Sylvia, whom we've prayed for for a very long time. While visiting with the family over the past couple weeks or so, her sister each time would pull out a stack of cards. I'm not talking about playing cards. These were greeting cards. She shared that almost every day, Sylvia would receive cards from people at the church. And each time she received a card, her face would light up and she would say the same thing. Somebody loves me. Let me take a moment and simply say, good job, church. You loved on her the way you were supposed to love on her. Well, Jesus tells one more story. And my guess is that most of us are a little more familiar with this story as we've probably heard many sermons on it. The complete story of ruin to restoration can be seen in the prodigal son story. Jesus guides through the downward journey of the son as he moves from self-will to selfishness to then separation and then to starvation. Then Jesus allows us to experience his climb from his realization to resolution to repentance to reunion. Basically, there's this cycle very well describes what many of us have found ourselves in in today's society. Jesus uses this parable to show us what the Lord is really like. Our text begins with a certain man blessed with two sons. As we look at the story, let's consider the star of the parable. It's not the prodigal son, even though it's named after him. It is the father, the good father. The story speaks more of the father's relationship with his sons than anything else. Notice the honesty and the openness of their relationship. You can hear it in their communication. Each member of the family knows that they are appreciated and loved. Relationship building can be challenging at times, but we must never underestimate the value of a good relationship. This certain man of our text was indeed a blessed man. A man likes to have sons. Daughters are valuable, they're beautiful, they're desirable, but a son keeps the family name in place. Normally a daughter assumes the last name of her husband while a son keeps the family history traceable and intact. This man had two 
loving, supportive, and caring sons. We're not told what caused the younger son to want to leave home. His mother is nowhere mentioned in the passage, but we are told, but what we are told reveals several things about the father and their family relationship. The younger son was so confident that he was free to talk with his father about anything. The boy became excited about the prospect of striking out on his own. He wanted to travel. He wanted to see things. He wanted to experience the world for himself. And he thought about it so much until any place seemed better than where he was. Probably knowing that the older brother would inherit two-thirds of his father's goods according to Jewish custom. That means he's only getting a third of it. He felt that leaving home was the best option for him. Many people listening today may have come to the same place. Needing to leave maybe a small town or just wanting to get away. We live in a college town. There are many people who are so eager to get away, to just do something different. Some people will join the military. Individuals will do anything to get out of the place where they grew up. Much has been made of how disrespectful this young boy's request was. But I don't know if I really see it as being disrespectful. I do, however, see several vulnerable things about the value of their relationship and the character of the father. What does Jesus want us to know about the father? Jesus is telling the story. It's not just to talk about how bad this guy was. First thing that Jesus wants to, us to see is the love of the father that is seen in his availability. Verse 11 and 12 of our passage, it says, And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. The father and son had such a wonderful relationship that the son felt comfortable meeting with his father on this very sensitive subject. The father was available, understanding and responsive, and the sinners and tax collectors were afraid of God. So understand the contrast here. This son feels so comfortable coming to the father, knowing that he desires that conversation. Yet Jesus is talking to tax collectors and sinners who are afraid to come into the presence of the Lord. Jesus presents a God who is willing to meet us where we are. Maybe this is a good example for fathers today. Yes, we are breadwinners, we're protectors, we may be the heads of our household. Maybe our sons also need us to be available to them. Thank God for his availability to us. The second thing we see here within this story is God's generosity. The generosity of the Father is on full display. Verse 12 and 13, it says, So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The father is generous and he is liberal. Without being controlling, he could have simply said, no, you're going to have to wait until your time comes. He could have responded with a sense of bitterness. Who do you think you are asking that kind of question? Maybe he could have responded with, well, you know what? Actually, I can give it to you, but I'm going to tell you what you're going to do with it as long as I'm alive. Instead, he is not controlling at all. I know the father probably desired that his son would make better choices. But he sees that his son has already made up his mind. And as much as he'd like to stop his son from making a foolish mistake, he lets 
him go. Normally, sin makes a person selfish. They think only of themselves. And that certainly fits with this young man. But this is where free will comes into play. God, who could very well force us into obedience, who could force us to love him above everything else, he grants us the power to choose, even though he knows often we will make poor choices. After a few days, the boy took his journey into a far country, and soon he had wasted everything that he had received from his father, and he came to a place of want. Want and waste are twin brothers. He who wastes will soon come to want. The boy spent freely, without consideration or limits. He was extravagant, and he lived extravagantly. The father was generous, knowing that the son might make those kind of bad choices. The third thing that we see here in this particular passage about the father is that the father still had incredible influence. Look at verse 14. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Even though the boy is away from home, his father's training and influence is still with him. Some people allow want and hunger to make them desperate. Desperate people will do desperate things. Desperation will take you further than you would ever want to go, keep you longer than you would ever want to stay, and cost you more than you would ever want to pay. This boy somehow held on to his father's teaching, though. Even though he's broke, he's down and out, look at what he does not do. He doesn't turn to steal from others, to cheating others. He doesn't borrow without intending to repay it. What does he do? He goes and he gets a job. I guess he figured that he got himself into this mess and he could work to get himself out of it. Or maybe this was merely him returning to what he already knew. Not necessarily working with pigs, but he had seen his father work for so long. And apparently it worked quite well for his father. That's why he had an estate to share with his sons. Maybe he suddenly realized that dad might have known what he was talking about. And in that pig pen, in want and incredible hunger, he was tempted to even eat with the swine. <laughs> the father's influence had caused him to develop a line in his life that he would not cross, though. He was not raised to, I like this phrase, dine with swine. Father's influence caused him to remember who he was and to whom he belonged. The father's influence caused him to take responsibility for his actions and to make some needed decisions. We have seen the availability of the father, the generosity of the father, and the influence of the father. What I want you to really see here is the forgiveness of the father. Looking at verses 17 through 20, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned 
against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, notice the father doesn't even wait. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The word prodigal literally would mean extravagant, reckless, without limits. When the young man came to himself, he got out of the pig pen and he returned home with repentance. He came home with the idea, I know that I have messed up. I know that whatever happens, I deserve it. But he's pleading for grace. And he's met by his father who is always available, always generous, always influential. And now he also reveals himself as forgiving and compassionate. Now it should be noted that there was an old Jewish parable that was very similar to the story which Jesus tells. But it is at this point that Jesus puts a spin on the old Jewish parable. In the old parable, it said the father folded his arms, turned his back, and ordered that the son be driven off because that's exactly what he deserved. Jesus shows us what the father is really like, though. His father saw him a great way off. There was never a moment when the father was not longing for his son's return. The very moment that his son walked away with the inheritance, the father was already hoping that his son would come home. He recognized him. He had compassion on him. And he ran out to not just meet him. He embraced him. And he kissed his son. Every movement was an act of extravagance, totally out of the ordinary in their culture. Matters of salvation, rules and regulations don't count, so the elder runs to the younger. It should have been the other way around. The Savior runs toward the sinner. No, it should have been the other way around. The Father's extravagant forgiveness unfolds with every moment. Look at the things that happen in this encounter. The kiss means that fellowship has been restored. You're no longer an outsider. You're being welcomed in. Fellowship has been restored. The ring identifies the fact that he gives them a ring. As we look at a celebration take place, he has given a ring and the position of authority is restored. People will not see him as a servant, but you are now a son of the father. A robe that is placed on him suggests that the Father has covered over the things of the past, the sin that had been present. He gives him shoes, identifying that he is more than a servant, but rather he is a son. And then he throws a party and identifies that he is back in fellowship, not only with the family, but also with the community. He experiences the full measure of the Father's mercy and grace. I want you to know today that that is the kind of father that loves you. I don't know today if maybe some of you feel like you are that lost sheep. You're still in the midst of your sin. You're still making really poor choices. 
Maybe you feel like that prodigal son and you had a great foundation, but somewhere along the way you walked away from it. Because you thought there was something better that was out there. You thought if I go out there, I can experience something that I haven't experienced here and my life will somehow be better off. I'm sure that it sounded good to you in the moment, but it doesn't always work out the way you'd hoped. I want you to know today that you have a Father in heaven who loves you so much. He doesn't just wait for you to come running to him, but he wants to run to you and to embrace you and to kiss you and to let you know that you are welcome back in the family. That which has been lost can be found. Most of us today in this room probably have already experienced that. You see, one of the things that we mistakenly assume is that nobody else has been where I am. You know, there are actually two brothers in this story. We didn't really reference the other brother all that much. But there are actually two brothers in this story. The one stayed home. He was faithful to the father. And actually, he's a little bit out of shape over the fact that the younger brother is so well-loved. Let me suggest to you that that older brother did not truly understand the love of the father. There are many who have been in church for a long time who may not truly understand the love of the Father. He cares so much for you. He cares so much for the person sitting beside you. So it's not fair. It's not fair that individuals can walk away and then somehow come back to God just whenever they feel like it. The Father says, yeah, but I love them. <laughs> I care about them. I believe today that the Easter story is very much about the lost and found. Jesus came to search and to find those who had been lost. Jesus became the sacrifice for your sins and for my sins so he could pay the price for all of us and so that he could take us like that sheep, throw us over his shoulder, and carry us home. I believe that there are those who probably need to hear that. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Perhaps there are individuals who are here today and you know that you are that prodigal son. Or perhaps today you feel like you are that lost coin or you are that lost sheep. And maybe you've even wondered if anybody really cares. I want you to know that Jesus does. I want you to know that the Father loves you more than life itself, so much so that he would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins so that you could be carried home. If that's you and you would say, Pastor, I need the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, would you simply raise your hand this morning? I want to be able to pray for you. Father, I come before you today and I am so grateful for the salvation that you have given to us. We recognize today that you are not like many of the fathers that we have experienced in this world. For some of us, our fatherly example was not very fatherly. We had individuals who betrayed us, who were unfaithful, who were loving only when it really met their agenda. But we have a heavenly father who truly loves us, regardless of where we've been. Father, I pray today that you would 
extend your love to each of us. Make it so clear that you are not content with us living out of fellowship with you. Father, I pray for your forgiveness where we have wandered off, where we have tried to do things our way and it did not work. I pray that you would forgive us and that you would welcome us back into fellowship with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to never be satisfied stuck in our sin. As this image is portrayed of a father longing for his son's return, I cannot help but wonder at what point did the father pray that maybe things wouldn't work out for his son because he knew that the sinful choices that he was making would eventually lead to suffering. So then the father is looking and waiting and longing. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to reach a point of such desperation that we would come running back to our Father. Father, we praise you for the grace you extend. All these things that we've looked at here within these three stories, we know that you are faithful. We know that you are loving. We know that you have shown grace. We know that you are extravagant in all of these things. But Lord, I pray today that if nothing else, we would understand your forgiveness that comes with your love. Again, we thank you for all that you've done, and we look forward to seeing how you work in a people that have been found. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being a part of our service today. It is a privilege for us to be able to worship with you. Uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and that's always a highlight for the church. So I invite you to come back and be a part of that. And obviously the week after that, we have our Easter Sunday services. Um, Easter Sunday, we do have additional uh, worship opportunities. Uh, we will have a sunrise service that will take place at 7 o'clock that morning. And it would be a great time for us to just come together. That will be outside uh, and you'll be able to watch the sunrise as a part of that, and it'll be a, a good time. Last year, we cheated a little bit. Um, we weren't supposed to have services. Uh, there were a few of us that got together, and we did a sunrise service. We did it to where people could see it online, and I'm going to tell you, as much as I'm grateful for that, it's not the same as being able to meet together as the body of Christ. So we invite you to be a part of that. Those are some of the things going on in the next couple of weeks. We would love to have you all. Thank you for being with us today. And go in peace.